0: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back, second hour at
1: OutKick 360, live downtown Nashville, the 6th and Peabody broadcast Studios with cold Moon moonshine, Yeehaw beer, alongside Paul Kuharski, I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton is live in Birmingham today getting ready for the USFL draft, which will take place a little later this evening. We'll be joined by Hutton coming up in the 5 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Central Hour. He's got Skip Holtz, head coach of the Birmingham Stallions of the USFL, joining us. Longtime college coach also. And Jeff Fisher, you may know him. Our next guest definitely knows him. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle joins us to talk NFL like he does each and every single week. John, how are things in Houston this afternoon?
2: Cadillac, Paul, I'm doing great. Things in Houston are great, and I hope you guys are too.
1: You know, John, things are not great uh, with Deshaun Watson uh, and the back and forth with this case, and and really with the Houston Texans on this on the side of all of this. Uh, What's been your big takeaway so far on what we've seen with the beginning of the legal proceedings with Deshaun Watson?
2: Just a bunch of more legal wrangling between the two attorneys. Watching these guys. Uh, Rusty Harden, who represents Watson, Tony Busby, represents 22 plaintiffs. Those guys go back and forth like they're two kids in the sandbox, and that's been entertaining. But it's a serious matter, 22 cases accusing him of sexual misconduct, assault, and harassment. And so they went to court yesterday in a hearing where Rusty Harden did not want Watson to have to begin His deposition on Thursday is scheduled. Now, Tony Busby has 42 hours maximum he can have with Watson, and he's told people he's going to use every minute. So what they asked for and they got, uh, not all of the plaintiffs have been deposed, and they want all the plaintiffs to be deposed, especially the ones who file criminal complaints. The judge ruled that the women who have not filed criminal complaints, just civil uh, complaint, and they have been deposed. Uh, Watson can be asked about them, and they're delaying the rest till after April 1st. Rusty Arden said he thought that the district attorney in Houston would know by April 1st if he was going to file charges. Well, we've been, this has been going on for a year now, and it could continue to go on. They're hoping that Watson would reach settlements with his 22 accusers, so teams would be interested in trading for him and if it's going to be after april 1st with the draft on april 28th it's looking less likely like that would happen and that means it's going to drag on past the draft his income goes up from 10.54 million last season to uh, 35 million when his extension kicks in uh, next season and people say well would they carry him on the roster again and pay him that kind of money. Now I said, the Houston Rockets are playing, pay, paying John Wall, a guard, $40 million not to play. So of course they would if they have to, they're not just going to cut him and, and go away with nothing.
1: And John, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, the, the part of this with the Houston Texans, because look, we think about the accusers first and foremost, obviously, and, and any victims in all of this, but The Houston Texans have really suffered through. I can't think of worse timing with everything and worst lack of designations from the league to where they're just sitting out there in the wind, not knowing what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, being forced to pay him, also basically having to sit him. It's just a really tough bind the Texans are in right now because of all this.
2: The NFL has said that it's waiting on the police investigation. It's been going on for a year. They're waiting to see if the district attorney here is going to file charges. And then they're waiting on the grand jury. And a lot of people think that if the Houston police don't find anything and the grand jury does not charge him, then uh, they'll reach settlements and then the NFL investigation will go away. And Roger Goodell would say, well, he set out all of last season. and uh, Or he might punish him a minimal amount, two to four games. But you know, I know the last thing anybody wants is for this to go through another season. And he is innocent until proven guilty. But anybody that's read those lawsuits, and I've read them t- three times, there are serious allegations.
3: Uh, what are the odds, John, that this thing gets resolved and and he gets moved before the draft.
2: It's not gonna happen, Paul, unless he's unless he reaches settlements. When they had the deal ready to go with Miami, three ones a three and a five, trading deadline was on a Tuesday at three three o'clock central, and on Thursday, Thursday when the trade was ready to go, and Steven Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, said, I want those lawsuits settled that was the first time Watson had agreed to settle up until that point I'm told he wouldn't consider settling because somebody convinced him his admission of guilt had he done that sooner he'd be playing for the Dolphins right now maybe Brian Flores is still the Dolphins coach, but they reached agreements I believe with 18 of the 22 couldn't get all 22 Tony Busby said that the the last four did not want to sign non disclosure agreements. They wanted to be able to tell their story publicly. So the deal fell apart right before the trading deadline, and no other team had stepped up because Watson has no trade clause. And he has told him last year, I only will go to Miami. Philadelphia made an offer uh, or was ready to make an offer, and he said no. And Carolina, there's a report Carolina's called Minnesota about Kirk Cousins. That's how desperate the Panthers have been. Well the Panthers, along with the Broncos, were the other teams besides Philadelphia that were seriously interested. And I'll let the general manager, Nick Casario, know that if he gets the cases settled, we're in the competition. So if they were to get it settled, there'd be a lot of teams still interested in him. As you know, you can stretch out draft choices over three years. So I'm sure, you know, they're they're willing to do that but uh, mainly he wants to play, but it's, it's been in, the ball's been in his court. You know, he could have settled this last year and I'm guessing he's sorry, he didn't.
3: So um, all this uh, Aaron Rodgers stuff that comes out today, it turns out Mike Florio notices this, I give him credit. The last picture of these nine pictures he posted with the Instagram uh, thing. He says, gratitude isn't cryptic, right? He says that to Pat McAfee today about this post. The ninth picture is a picture of uh, Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams standing for the national anthem with uh, kind of a space between them. This is at the national anthem of the Chiefs game, which I believe is the game that Aaron Rodgers was out of for the COVID uh, test. This is the space that Aaron Rodgers typically occupies on the sideline for the national anthem. He could say it's I mean, not I, cryptic for all he wants. For him to post that picture is is saying, like, here here's the setting without me.
1: John, I feel like, Paul, we're dissecting an episode of Westworld on HBO with Easter eggs in each episode and trying to figure out what the hell is going on, the way he talked about that photo there. And he's right. I mean, Aaron Rodgers knows what he's doing, right?
2: Mm course he does he needs his ego massaged why else would you go to all that trouble and because you know it's going to create a, a whirlwind around the country and in green bay when i saw that i thought okay he's saying i want these receivers back to be in that picture because both of them's contracts are up and uh it's amazing today players can't just go about things behind the scenes and they got to do it publicly like charvis landry coming out on Twitter telling his old story last year, last yeah about being injured and coming back too soon and affected his performance and now he wants a new contract, but it's a sign of the times, is the way the sports world and Rogers must need that ego massaged in a big way to keep doing things like this. I still expect him back in Green Bay. He's got a year left on his contract, and remember, all this started last year. When he didn't get the contract extension he wanted, his agent went to Green Bay, negotiated with the Packers, went back home, and all of a sudden it leaked to Madam Schefter that he might retire, which created uh, another firestorm of controversy. So it seems to me it's it's almost always about the money. He's pledged to make this decision soon. Uh, If he makes this
3: decision soon and then has to go into a – regular off season without all this drama what's going to fuel him
2: well i think even if he makes a decision say he's going to retire his like Tom brady made a decision he's going to retire people talk all the time about him coming back i heard people on the nfl radio this morning say that uh he maybe he'll go to green bay and replace aaron Rodgers, and then he's talking about him going to san francisco and this is brady even though He's retired, so I'm assuming that Rodgers, who's told people he wants to play to his 40s, that uh, that he's not going to retire. And if he does, he'll come back. He's got that year left. If he plays anywhere, it's got to be for the Packers unless they trade him. And, you know, how much – if you think about this, what is a quarterback who's going to be 39, who's great quarterback, four MVPs, but has been to one Super Bowl in, I think, 2010 – What do you give up for him? Do you mortgage the future for, like say, Denver? Uh, Because the Broncos are in best position if they get a quarterback, whether it's Rodgers or Watson. To me, if you're going to mortgage the future, you do it for a 26-year-old quarterback, not one who's going to be 39.
1: John, I know both you and Paul, you're not buying the Aaron Rodgers drama. He's going to be there in Green Bay. That's what you think right now. Is there going to be any quarterback drama this year? Is, is something going to happen with Russell Wilson? Or are we just going to be sitting here thinking something might happen and then be left with Jimmy Garoppolo with a new home, Carson Wentz with a new home, Jameis Winston staying in New Orleans? Do you, do you expect anything to happen if you had to guess one thing right now in the drama department for NFL quarterbacks that would happen?
2: So, like, you don't think Deshaun Watson is drama when it oh, comes? Oh, that's to no, that yeah.
1: Sorry, outside of Deshaun Watson, let me let me clarify that. With all the other guys no, he, who could demand a trade, do you think anything's yeah, going to happen?
2: You do think Jimmy G's drama? No. And and Russell Wilson said again at the Super Bowl, he's happy in Seattle. He's done that twice now, but people won't let it go. He's got three years left on his contract. Russell Wilson will be back in Seattle, even though Rogers hasn't said it. He likes to drag out the drama. Obviously he likes the attention and uh, not as if he doesn't get enough attention. And so I expect him to be back. Those other quarterbacks, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is that Carson Wentz did during his season with the Colts. Cause his stats were good. What is he behind the scenes that would make them be willing to look for yet another quarterback from, uh, starting with Andrew Luck, this would be five and five years. I've never seen that anywhere, especially with a team that's pretty good. But somewhere, something will pop up where there will be drama with quarterbacks, and if there's not, a lot of media people will create it.
1: And you're confident Tom Brady is
2: retired? No, I'm not confident of that at all until, until he or Giselle comes out and says he is definitely retiring. Uh, I'm not going to believe it. Guys generally don't go out when they're playing great, especially when they've said before they wanted to play another season. Maybe he'll be with his family for a while and then get the itch to come back. It's not fair to drag it out past free agency. Getting a draft pick is one thing. But if you're a team like Tampa, you may want to get another veteran. So if he waits like Brent Favre used to, as long as he can, that's just not fair to your organization. And Brady's none. I mean, the Bucks have done nothing that anybody knows of that would anger Tom Brady. They did everything he wanted with the roster. They won a Super Bowl. They got to the playoffs. He was fantastic this season at 44. And uh, I just I, I have a hard time believing he's not going to play considering how great he played and what he had been saying about playing through being 45.
1: John McClain, the Houston Chronicle. We got more with him. We're going to get more NFL headlines when we come back. John McClain joins us every week right here on Outkick 360, and you are watching and listening across the Outkick network.
3: You ready?
0: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy.
3: What are you doing later? Let's
2: drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes!
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall guy. Guy. the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
3: Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG 13.
1: We are back, OutKick 360 across the OutKick Network, live from our 6th and Peabody broadcast studios with Old Smokey Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here, more importantly right now, the man in black. John McClain is with us from the Houston Chronicle as we run through all things NFL.
3: So, John, uh, per Real Sports, which I think is airing tonight, uh, Brian Flores, well, I-, I don't know if the details of this are from there. Brian Flores talks to Mike Tomlin for advice on this whole matter of him against the NFL on uh, racial hiring issues. And uh, after a few conversations, Mike Tomlin offers him a job, which he accepts. So he's now part of the Steelers staff. What do you think about how that all comes together and what a great landing spot that probably is for Flores?
2: That is from Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. I read a, a transcript of what is in that with him and his attorney. They've been making the rounds ever since they filed the lawsuit. And he said he talked to him on a Thursday and then he was hired on a Friday. I never thought Flores would work in the NFL again. Me neither. Just like if if you guys are suing Fox, I don't think OutKick's going to hire you. I know if I'm suing Hurst. The Chronicle's not going to hire me, and that's usually the way the world works, but good for Flores and good for the Steelers, even though he's suing their owner, the Rooney family. So maybe that'll lead back to him being a head coach sooner. But there, he and his attorney claim they have evidence of Stephen Ross asking him to tank games. Evidence tells me you either got text messages, emails, or you got recordings And I can't wait to see that. And they said they would share it with the NFL and in the NFL's investigation into this situation.
1: It does feel, though, John, like with the Rooney family ownership, the Steelers may have been one of the very few teams that would have hired Brian Flores, uh, given their history, given their standing in the league. So from that perspective, does it make a little bit more sense that it's Pittsburgh?
2: Well, if any team were going to do it, I guess the Steelers, since uh, Dan Rooney's name is on the Rooney rule, yep. and uh, but I'm still shocked because you usually don't get hired by the people you're suing. I want to stick with the Steelers for a second. Kevin Colbert um,
3: retiring after this draft, not very talked about that the Steelers have an open GM position, though they've been interviewing. Um, and he's not a guy that gets much press, very low key. I've talked to him at the Combine several times at his podium session. Great guy for a quote for a big-picture story. Uh, but really, a fundamental piece of why the Steelers have had main t- uh, sustained success. Um, big shoes to fill there. Well, tell us about your interactions with him over the year, uh, over the years, how much responsibility he has for what's happened there and and what you think about them going forward without him.
2: You've never heard of a problem between Mike Tomlin and and him throughout Tomlin's tenure, and I think he's been there 22 years. Tomlin's working on 15, a great guy, very good at what he does, no ego, stays behind the scenes as most general managers are supposed to, except when it comes draft time. So that's why he's going to be available next week at the combine. But it's going to be a big loss. Do they stick on a personnel side? they go with Omar Khan, their longtime uh, VP of administration, who's their cap guy? He was interviewed here in Houston when uh, the Texans hired Nick Casario last year. And uh, there's a couple of others in that organization have been interviewed. I think they've interviewed, Paul, like eight people. Yeah. So uh, when it's concluded, and they've had a lot of time, once you know he's out, then that gives you a lot of time to do it. So it's been very thorough and the Steelers don't make many mistakes when it comes to hiring coaches and front office executives.
3: Ryan Cowden from the Titans, one of the one of the early candidates who interviewed there. Uh, you mentioned the combine. We know that the impasse was kind of worked through in terms of uh, agents being reluctant to take their guys with the heavy restrictions. Leading into Radio Road, John, we hadn't heard much really about what they were planning for the media there. And it was pretty quiet. Uh, you're instrumental in the in the kind of notes network that helps the media kind of deal with dealing with so many guys at once. What are you hearing about that? Because that really helps get the stories out of, of the combine. What's it going to be like for the media uh, at the combine with so many people?
2: Not going to be my problem because I'm not going to be there for the first time uh. since it moved to Indianapolis in the mid-80s and uh so shereen williams of uh pro football talk and i've always ran right at the quotes network for the pro football writers of america they've been told how we do it and told them here's what you need to do so i don't know exactly what they're doing and i also told have been told there's gonna you know they're going to uh expect people to social distance when they're doing interviews i'm not sure how they're gonna pull that off i'll be watching that Live on uh, NFL Network, as I always do, and I'll miss being there. But I had a choice to go, and the guy that worked with me, young guy, this year, Brooks Cabina, I told him, let Brooks go. I've been to plenty.
1: Well, and uh, for those that have not heard us talk about it, John McClain is the mayor of Indy uh, at the Combine. I mean, he runs it. You have to go to John. John McClain is like Morgan Freeman in Shawshank. You go to him for everything at the Combine. You have to go through John to get a carton of cigs or to get quotes from the Pro Football Writers Association. It is amazing uh, to watch John McClain. So, John, here's to, even if you just take this one year off and you're back next year, you taking your place back as mayor of Indy if you go back to the Combine
3: next year. Yeah, it was one thing to not have you at the Super Bowl, but to not have you at the Combine is really going to be uh, a stunner. So, uh,
2: we'll I- really, really miss you. All, all, the, all the writers will miss you. Well, tell you the truth, I don't miss the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I like covering it right in front of the TV, but I do miss the Combine. Because, you know, Paul, it's a great place to go, not only to get a lot of interviews, you get to talk to people. And the thing I'm really going to miss this year is the NFL meetings at the end of March in Palm Beach, because I always like going to those and having our coaches breakfast, get to sit down with Mike Vrabel, talk to him, the other AFC South coaches, Lovey Smith, of course is the new coach for the Texans. But, you know, I got a feeling I'll be, I'll be back at these events next year.
1: And Paul will be in Indy next week for the Combine uh, without with kick 360, having some coverage there. But, Paul, you've seen this also. You know, we've interviewed Sean McVay there. We've interviewed Zach Taylor there. Uh, we've interviewed Ron Rivera there. Everyone is so much more relaxed now that the season has just ended. It really is a great setting when you can talk to people, especially for what you guys are doing in reporting, it's the perfect setting to really have either off the record or on the record discussions with a lot of these guys, these heavy hitters.
3: Yeah. And, and, uh, like John's saying, on top of the combine, that owner's meeting I've only been to once. I need to get to it this year. That is really the, the relaxed atmosphere of them all. The Panthers, John called the Vikings. This has been uh, reported to have an initial conversation about Kirk cousins, which, uh, it's surprising to me, and it's surprising that, that uh, it's, it's been revealed publicly, that, that, that it's been reported. What do you make of that, even on an
2: initial level? Well, supposedly the Vikings said things, but no thanks. The Panthers are desperate for a quarterback. They got Sam Darley, only $19 million. They were one of the teams in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes that was the strongest. They're 200 miles from Watson's hometown, Gainesville, Georgia, which could be a selling point. If he was interested in going to another organization, if I'm a quarterback, I want to go to the Broncos. They got the defense. They got a running game. They need a quarterback for a chance to be a contender. Problem is that division. My goodness, if you're a quarterback, do you really want to go in there with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert every year? That's why I think it'd be crazy for Aaron Rodgers to try to go to Denver. He can dominate the NFC North. And if he went to the AFC West, there's no guarantee he's even going to make the playoffs. And uh, but Kirk, Kirk Cousins, 35 million guaranteed salary, 45 million against the cap, 45 million in dead money if he's gone. So they're not getting rid of him. The only thing they got to decide with new coach Kevin O'Connell is do they want to extend his contract to guarantee they keep him another couple of years to lower that cap figure.
3: I don't know where. Uh where these odds are, but I read a report on these odds that Kyler Murray's odds of being the starter in Arizona have dropped from minus 2000 to minus 500. Uh, There are people out there, John, who don't think he's the guy in Arizona anymore. All this conversation about his maturity and how, how, how the blame's been distributed for a poor end to the season for Arizona and an awful showing in a, in a playoff opener. Um, and then him stripping, obviously, his social media accounts of Cardinals stuff. Do you think that they um, find peace there and he and Kingsbury get back on the same page? Or do you think he's a prime trade candidate, given where he is in his career?
2: It's all about the money. You know, he wants an extension. He wants the kind of deal that's going to give him $40 million a year. He's not going to get it. Now, he and Cliff Kingsbury have the same agent. Eric Burkhart, who was Kingsbury's roommate at Texas Tech. So that's got to be awkward if indeed the problem is with Kingsbury. Maybe it's with Steve Kime, the general manager. He doesn't think he's going to pay him what he wants. And and it's funny here because one of the first things that came out in Houston when that that controversy kicked off that his dad, Kevin Murray, who was a really good quarterback at Texas A&M that he's involved because they're very, very close Now, there. You haven't seen his name mentioned, but when he was at Texas A&M here and he transferred to Oklahoma, there were a lot of those same charges. And then of course he played great for the Sooners, and it was Kingsbury who wanted him picked first overall. Nobody else talked about Kyler Murray uh, in that high of regard. So I think they'll get it worked out. I don't think he's going to get the contract he wants now. They'll pick up that fifth-year option. That means they got two years with him. Then they could franchise him for two years. So even even though he may want out, I don't think there's a big market for him, especially at this point of his career. Knowing how much money he wants.
3: Let's talk about the Super Bowl champs. Sean McVay loses his offensive coordinator, um, O'Connell, to the Vikings. O'Connell takes uh, Wade Phillips' son, right, tight ends coach West Phillips, West Phillips. with him. And the offensive staff is suddenly depleted. McVay uh, dips back into the college ranks, gets a gets an old friend from Kentucky, um, gets a, a old uh, buddy who uh, has floated around a little bit. Greg Olson brings him back. Any lack of confidence in his ability to read, just keep reassembling that offensive staff
2: and keep keep rolling. Well, McVay calls all the plays, and so I don't think it's that big of a deal. I always wonder, when you hire a coordinator who comes from an organization and he didn't call the plays, how is he going to be as a play caller? Because you guys know offensive coordinators want to call plays when they're head coaches. You don't see it as much with defensive head coaches, but I don't think they'll skip a beat. The guy that he brought back, he was with them, I think McVay's first two or three years when he was there, Wes Phillips, tight ends coach. He's going to be the offensive coordinator for Kevin O'Connell, but O'Connell is going to call the play. So I think the Rams got bigger issues and that's on their roster where they have some players like everybody expects Andrew Whitworth to retire. Von Miller's contracts up Odell Beckham jr's contracts up. Plus he's got the knee injury. Their roster still needs some, some uh, additions and I'm guessing. The last need the general manager. Hey, you know what he said on his T-shirt about them picks, and so maybe he'll trade a couple more picks to try to bring in some more veteran players to help them try to defend that Super Bowl title.
3: And Greg Olson, uh, who was out of work after the after the Raiders, you know, in two years he could be a head coach uh, the the way Sean McVay turns these turns these guys out. Things things change isn't fast. It hard, isn't it hard to
2: believe that on shanahan staff mike shanahan staff he had sean mcveigh matt lord and kyle shanahan three guys who have been very successful head coaches and uh i don't know who else was on that staff if there was somebody young that could be in a situation to uh be elevated but man oh man what a great staff that was and i don't think they did squat when it came to winning <laughs>
1: John, are you hearing anything on Broncos' ownership situation? There was the big story out there about Peyton Manning being aligned with one group and John Elway possibly being aligned with another group. Uh, any movement with that? And what do you make of that report?
2: That's such a complicated situation. I'm guessing it's it's true about uh, Elway and Peyton being at different groups. It's going to cost $4.5 right now, maybe more, if you get them bidding. The NFL is hoping to have black ownership and uh, that talking about, you know, you've got to be 30% liquid if you're going to buy a team. Now that's the way it's been with teams getting up into multiple billions. You know, that, that keeps a lot of good owners out. It's amazing how they're supposed to vet these owners. And so many of them turn out to be bad. And I'm thinking they need new vetting procedures maybe it's the only thing they care about is money but whatever they do they don't want it to be another legal entangle- entanglement by the two Boland families and you know this is not what Pat Boland wanted he wanted a family member to continue to run it but if the two sides couldn't agree on it then the trustees have to sell it and that's what they're in the process of doing
3: Does the NFL go away from Beth Wilkinson on this Washington commander's investigation and insert Mary Jo White simply to slow things down because she's coming out of nowhere as opposed to picking up where she left off?
2: The uh, women, the woman, I don't know if it's one woman or multiple. They want Wilkinson because her familiarity with it, the original investigation of which there was no paper trail, which is preposterous. That's what happened with Baylor when they brought in an independent firm from Philadelphia for the Art Browse scandal. They, they had the investigation and everything was completed, but there was no, they didn't have it anywhere. You know, it wasn't in a computer. There's no printouts. It's like somebody relying on their memory. So I think Wilkinson definitely, should be the woman overseeing it because you're back at the get-go, starting over on everything. It's just so unnecessary.
1: So we've got two new pro leagues coming up. we got USFL, we've got XFL. USFL has a draft tonight, owned by Fox, in cooperation with NBC, which is going to be a big help with those two networks to air the product. Then you have the XFL, John, with The Rock, and they're touting themselves as sort of the official minor league card for the NFL where they're going to have the NFL give them new rules to try out in a petri dish of football for the NFL what do you think about both of these leagues and that approach from the XFL to say will be your experiment for the NFL to get you ready for wherever you want to go and get players ready to move up to the NFL
2: Well, first of all, neither one of them will last because new leagues never last. I've been watching new leagues since the early 70s and people just get tired of losing money. Even Fox is going to get tired of losing money. And uh, the XFL, I would expect it to go under sooner. Vince McMahon is worth billions and he pulled the plug on a product that in some cities like Houston was doing real well. So it's just a matter of time. I would imagine that uh, Fox... And NBC, having the games on there, they'll, they'll last longer. But eventually, the leagues always go away. Until the NFL has a monetary system like they had with NFL Europe where they're pumping money into it and they want to keep it afloat. And I think they should have that. I think young quarterbacks need to play like that. It's too bad you can't do it like baseball where uh, you have a team and it runs your offense. And when the players come up, they're ready for an easier transition. But until the NFL decrees, again, like NFL Europe, we want to do it. They're all very suspect. And even then, the owners could have kept NFL Europe going, but they just got tired of losing millions and millions of dollars.
3: John, haven't had a chance since the Hall of Fame results came out to ask you about Andre Johnson. Uh, I thought you did a great job on his behalf And it was my feeling coming out of the selectors meeting way back on January 18th that he probably, we don't know the ordering of anything, but that he probably was sixth. And that Sam Mills being in his final year of eligibility probably cost Andre Johnson uh, a year. Um, What was your sense of things as you came out of the meeting and knowing that he made the final 10, uh, but not the final five, but that Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt, his wide receiver competition, didn't get out of the final 15.
2: Well, I got to admit, when I went into that Zoom call we had, Paul, and I see I'm going up against Tony Dungy and Bill Polian, who were pushing for Reggie Wayne. I was really worried about it. But I felt good when he made the cut to 10. And members like you who spoke up about him and talked about his career, I believe there was seven overall so I think that bodes well for the future we don't generally put receivers in on the first ballot although we did Calvin Johnson last year which surprised me but I'm kind of glad we took care of some guys who've been waiting for quite a while and uh, next year we got Joe Thomas and uh, Rivas who are coming out and a lot of people think they're locks and I'm guessing they will be first ballot then we've got holdovers You know, we didn't elect one guy who was eligible for the first time, and I thought the one who would have been was DeMarcus Ware, one of the all-time great pass rushers, so it'll be tougher next year. But I feel good about his chances, knowing that people like you uh, supported him.
1: John McClain, the great John McClain, joins us every week right here on Outkick 360. John, thanks so much. Really appreciate it.
2: Great stuff. Chad Lager and Paul, thank you, guys very much. I appreciate it as always, and I look forward to next week.
1: Thank you, John. So Phil Mickelson described the PGA as having obnoxious greed. Phil Mickelson has made $800 million playing golf in the United States through the PGA over the course of his career. He has issued a, an apology today. And the last paragraph of this apology is noteworthy because of his comments about this Saudi golf league, uh, that is starting. We'll talk about Phil Mickelson and quote, unquote, obnoxious greed when we come back. This is Outkick 360.
3: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the roast of Tom Brady.
1: We are back on Outkick 360. Chad Withrow, Paul Kaharski in Nashville. Now we are going to send it back three hours down I-65 south to Birmingham. And we're going to go to Protective Field, where Jonathan Hutton is sitting by with an absolute legend. I said the man in black, John Rockstar. McClain, earlier. Another legend joins Jonathan Hutton right now. It is Coach Mack himself, Coach Dave McGinnis. Hutton, take it away.
4: Yeah, thank you, Chad. And uh, three hours to you. Down I-65. We're taking the headset off because Mac and I don't need this here. Uh, three hours to you down I-65 to Birmingham. Mac and I made it in about two hours and forty minutes. We made good time this morning.
0: Was it that long? Did it take us that long?
4: It didn't feel like it.
0: No, that rental car you had. I think you knew it was a rental car, so you were jamming it all the way all the way down here. No, it was an easy drive. This is good, and uh, I'm impressed with this setup, Hut. I mean, you and I talked about it. Yeah. We went through we went through the Westin where they were having all of their meetings and. I knew everybody in the Weston. You know, I, I know everybody that's down here in this league. It, this is going to be a lot of fun. This setup here for the draft is impressive. I like this.
4: The worst thing about this setup is this Bob Barker microphone that we're using on OutKick 360 currently. And we're Mac and I, after this, will play some Plinko here at the stadium. <laughs> the stadium is legit. Uh, Paul and Chad pointed that out earlier in the show. And this is a great spot to host the entire league for a year. Um, who knows? If it's beyond that, but just to get things going with eight teams, this is a perfect host location. You've got the hotels right across the street. You have the great stadium here, $10 tickets. I mean, it's, it's a, a great way to do it in spring football.
0: Well, uh, Paul and Chad are 100% correct. I had never seen this stadium. You know, I came down here several times, uh, you know, d- during the Alliance to watch the Birmingham Iron. Of course, that's over at Allegion, yeah. Legion Field. But this, this is really impressive. So, you know, I agree with Paul and Chad. I was really impressed when you and I walked over here after, after lunch to look and see where it was set up. I mean, I went, wow. This is nice,
4: Coach Mac. Dave McGinnis with us on Outkick 360. All right, Mac. Let's talk a little ball, a little USFL, and let's start from your perspective. Jeff Fisher's a head coach in this league. You're not coaching in this league. I know you were asked to coach. Was it tempting? Because I look in the room with all these head coaches. I mean, they're they're well known, well known dudes sitting in the room about the draft.
0: No, not at all. I mean, I, that's that, that's now I will be down here with when Jeff Fisher's down here. Believe that. But, uh, you know, I, I, was a, I was a big proponent of the alliance. I'm a big proponent of this, you know, in talking with Daryl Johnson today, you and I had a chance to visit with him over at the Westin, the commissioner of this league. And Moose, you know, is, is going to run this right. And they're not going to, I don't think they're going to make the financial mistakes that were made with the alliance. But uh, I, I'm all for this because it's, it's opportunity. And, and you've got to understand what it is when you go into it. You've got to try not to get out over your skis too early, you know. And, 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 and I remember when the original USFL you know was invoked a lot of good coaches came out of that league I tried to coach in that league Jim Moore interviewed me for the secondary job for the Philadelphia Baltimore Stars and it was between me and Dom Capers and he hired Dom because Dom had been his GA at Washington so but anyway this is going to be good well coached and then the players get another chance and and you've got to know what your expectations are for this but the one word that I would like to use to, to describe what this is is opportunity
4: and it, it's also different in this way, roster size. You know, it's a big jump from the NFL to the USFL for year one. 35 active roster players on game day, which means guys are playing both ways. You're going to have uh, a kicker and a punter. My guess is those guys may also be playing another skill position if they can kick or punt. Um, it's it, You're going to have to put some... Some pieces to the puzzle together that otherwise these guys wouldn't have to do on any other level.
0: It's been interesting, you know, the last month talking with Fish, you know, yeah. uh, several times just about the logistics of how this is going to be and then, you know, the strategy of what it's going to be like because it's going to be extremely important. I mean, think about this. You know, if you're only going to have that many players, I mean, you're going to have to reconfigure your defense. I would expect most people in this league to play a 3 3 5 to get more athletic people out there because if they go no huddle on offense, you're not going to be able to have a 330-pound dude on the front that's going to be able to stand up with that and then decide you know who else you've got backing him up. There's going to be some decisions that these coaches are going to have to make. I know every one of these head coaches down here, some of them have extensive experience in some of these alternate leagues. and so But there's some strategy that's going to be with it. In fact, quite a bit.
4: Do you like the idea of, of how they're going about with the, the, the personnel department for the USFL where there's a central body that then pushes that information to the teams during the off season. Once the t- once the season gets going, it's up to the teams to manufacture the roster how they see fit.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, that's a financial decision too. You and I talked with the director of scouting today. You know, for quite a while. That, that you know, that worked for Seattle and Minnesota. You know, quite a bit. They're all NFL people. Mm-hmm. And and. It's a financial decision, and it's smart. He's going to have eight people working with him, and then what he's going to do, as he told us, once the season starts, then each one of those guys will be assigned to a club. And so, yes, I, I, I like the way they did it. And they did it, you know, for financial reasons. I also think it's very intelligent what they're doing, playing all their games here in Birmingham and housing them over here at the Sheraton, which is connected to this place where we are, at the Sheraton and the Weston. This complex is built for this type of, of setup.
4: Yeah, and we're all finding out together about these quarterbacks tonight, about the the, the rosters that they'll be, as they'll be selected. There's a bit of a mystery to it. I know the coaches know... Uh, a bit of the layout the snake draft but i mean fisher and all these guys are trying to find a way to make sure that they get the most out of what they're doing here in birmingham to set up their roster
0: Uh, all of these guys are doing this are one thing ultra competitive you know that so you're going to try to do the best for your team and it's got to be a collaborative effort but then you're going to try to do what's best for your team i'm glad you and i are here i'm looking forward to to being a part of it being able to witness it and see it and uh You know, we're having a good time here just hanging out. But also, I think it's important to being on the ground floor of it.
4: Well, we're hanging out. And tonight, after the draft, Chad, we're going to celebrate your birthday uh, in Coach Mac style. Um, You know, there'll be a private club or somewhere that Mac can get me into. That's why he's here with me. He's introducing me to everybody he knows, uh, whereas we walk down through these sidewalks and everybody that he's met across his uh, 35-plus years of coaching across the NFL. It's been fun so far. We've got uh, a couple different coaches coming up. In uh, the third hour of the program, Skip Holtz, Jeff Fisher, and much more. Mac, appreciate
0: you. hut, oh, it's great being down here with you. Paul and Chad, hope you're having fun back there. Coach Mac. Back to you guys.
1: Key is the best. It's great love to see you. Love hearing Coach Mac talk ball. Love, love seeing him. And I can guarantee you this. Those two guys will be celebrating my birthday by ordering salmon wherever they go there's no ah, doubt about absolutely. it if They're there is salmon on the menu both those men will eat the salmon and they if there's will order not the salmon, salmon on the time. menu
3: they'll go somewhere where there is salmon
1: hey, one quick thought about the usfl the kicking part of it i think you were Hutton brought up Hutton it's going to be punning punter. punter kicker what a great opportunity for a showcase for an nfl team we're always talking about the lack of kickers now in the nfl but to showcase that skill where you're doing both If you do one of them exceptionally well, but if you're doing both well, that's a good opportunity for someone. Also a good opportunity for us, Paul, when we come back, we're going to go back to Birmingham, and we've got coaches. Skip Holtz, coach of the Birmingham Stallions, will be with Jonathan Hutton, and then former Titans head coach, current Michigan Panthers head coach, the USFL, Jeff Fisher, also in the 4 o'clock Central Hour. That's all coming up next. This is Outkick 360.